is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is the show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're in the season of Advent, the season of preparation, as we are looking toward and moving toward the, the celebration of Christmas. And, uh, and so today I'm thinking about the wise men. Now I know, I know what you're saying. It's not epiphany yet. Why are you jumping the gun? Why are you going straight to the wise men? Uh, this is an awful idea, but it's not. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we like to make the most of Advent season around here in the house. Um, and we stretch things out as much as possible. Because what we don't want to have is all of this focus on Christmas uh, that that builds and builds and builds, and then Christmas comes and it's over, and then there's just kind of this letdown. We want to spend our time uh, preparing and slowly journeying towards Christmas. Uh, and so one of the ways we do that is through um, through decoration, right? We decorate slowly around here. A lot of a lot of people, as soon as uh, as soon as the turkey's done, or as soon as they get out of their Halloween costumes, all of a sudden, uh, Christmas has come. But not for us. Uh, we like to take things a little bit more slowly. So, for the first Sunday of Advent, we put up all the greenery that is n- non-perishable, right? The the fake stuff. It it gets its way up. Uh, and then the second Sunday of Advent, we we go out and we buy our live tree. The third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, when we uh, when we rejoice, that's when we light the tree. And then finally, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, that's when we decorate the tree. We put up the ornaments, uh, and then um, then the celebration goes on past uh, all the way to the baptism of the Lord, and we keep the tree up, and we have this long celebration. Do things within the Christmas season, like the um, we we invite typically we'll see what happens this year typically we invite people over and we do a carol sing and we have uh, you know cider and uh, a third fourth day of christmas somewhere around there uh, and have just this kind of christmas candy potluck where we together as a community celebrate uh, the the christmas season as as fully as we can but we're not there yet we're in advent And so right now, uh, Mary and Joseph and the angel are sitting up in the front room as they are awaiting the Christ child. And and on Christmas, the the rest of that nativity scene will come out. But right now, the wise men, they're they're way back here in the back room where I have my studio. And they're looking over me right now as they're on their long journey seeking after uh, the promised one. They're following the star. And I think about the star a little bit um, because on the news this week, I saw, uh, or on my news feed, I don't recall quite where, uh, I saw that the planets are lining up this year in just such a way that it's going to produce a very bright star. Maybe this was the star the wise men followed, was this convergence of planets. Maybe it's just something pretty neat for us as we are in this season of, uh, of waiting and anticipation of Christmas for us to look and say, hey, it's a Christmas star. I don't know. Either way, I'm going to enjoy it this year as I look up in the sky and and see this convergence of planets that has not happened in 600 years, right? That's the last time we had this. And so here we are, these planets are lining up just so, and it makes me think of the wise men. Seeking after this promise and trying to 
uh, understand what God is revealing to humanity. This is what they were doing, seeking after the promise and trying to understand what God is revealing to humanity. Well, this is our task during the Advent season as well, to seek after the promise, to seek after what it is that God is revealing to us and to our place in life. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do this, but what we should be doing is taking the time to sit back and to observe and to listen. This is what the wise men did, of course, because yes, we know their story that they came from afar and they they traveled. They they put effort into it and planning and and crossed a great deal of of space in order to see this promise. But before they could do that, they had to observe, right? They had to see what was going on in the heavens as they were looking at the stars and trying to read the signs. They had to be aware of what was going on before they could notice that something was different, that something was coming about that they needed to, to investigate and to look into. So often we can just kind of coast through our days as one day runs into another, runs into another. And this is even, I think, a little bit more prominent and pronounced here in the pandemic. Um, over, the, over the holidays, I had four days off in a row, and this is just not something that happens to me. Um, and and I, forgot, I forgot what day it was. As, uh, those of you who listen to the podcast, you, you might have noticed the show didn't get put up quite as it normally does on Saturday. Uh, Typically, I put the show up shortly after it airs on uh, Oklahoma Catholic Radio and Iowa Catholic Radio. Um, And and I put it up for everyone to hear on OutsideTheWalls.com. It took a little bit longer. Uh, I was was at Vigil Mass most of the way through the homily when I realized it's Saturday. (laughs) I forgot to put the show up. And so we can do that. We can just kind of coast and go one day into the next and kind of forget where we are and what place we're in. And uh, and we're called here in this season of preparation to set aside distractions, to set aside those things that would keep us head down into the minutia of the day. And we're called to step back away from the distractions, away from the noise, and to observe to listen and to see what it is that God's doing so that then we can take the time to seek after him, to go to the place where he is going to make himself known, to travel from where we are to where he will be, right? So as we look around and we say, hey, you know what? All is not right with the world. We're observing the things that are wrong. We're naming our discontent, but we have to do more than that. We have to then say, Where is it that Christ is going to manifest? Where is it that he's going to be? And then we need to take a little bit of a journey. Look to the sky, right? Look for that convergence and begin to move so that we can meet him where he is. Yes, yes, he comes to us and he meets us where we are. He comes to us at Advent, but there's a preparation that has to take place. And and in some ways, a journey that has to take place as we put ourselves in an open posture toward him, to make ourselves available, or as the the Christmas song goes, let every heart prepare him room, 
and Heaven and Nature Sing. Actually, it's not a Christmas song. Uh, If you go and you look at this song, Joy to the World, this song is an Advent song. We only sing it at Christmas, but it is an Advent song, and particularly a first two weeks of Advent song, because it's dealing with the second coming of Christ, the eschaton, right? Uh, It's not the child in a manger. It's the king returning to his kingdom. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. So here we are in this season, longing for the redemption, longing for Christ to come and set all things right with the world. And so we take the time after we've named our discontent, after we've looked at those places that we need that redemption to come, after we've begun that invitation, we pack up the camel, we put our rations together, and we head out for this promise. We look and search after God, knowing full well that he's not hiding from us and that he wants to be found, right? Here, here Christ is coming, and he announces his coming with a star that draws the wise men from far away and brings them to the place of his birth. He, too, is calling us and putting his signs out for us to see if we observe, if we take the time to look up from our drudgery, from our, our mundane uh, habits, from the monotony of our, of our quarantined life, and if we look for the star, whatever that would happen to be in your life, that beacon of the promise that redemption is coming, and then we rise, we pack, and we go to meet him there. Maybe to give a more modern example, here we are, we're stuck in the middle of this pandemic. And every day we hear about new horrors that come from that, whether that be uh, rising caseloads or um, or more future shutdowns or whatever the case may be. We look at, at what's surrounding us and there is this uh, this anxiety that comes along with it. But at the same time, one of the things I've been hearing on the news quite a bit is these different companies who have come up with a vaccine. And not to get too much into the specifics of it, I'm looking at the speed and the intensity and the intentionality with which everyone came together, everyone that had the means to do so, and began to put something together uh, to combat the, the, the virus, to combat this pandemic. And I say, we have in our world, as we look around and say, all is not right with the world, we, we see the areas of disease that are in our souls as individuals and as nations. And so now we have the opportunity to do that same thing, to say with intensity and intentionality and focus, we're going now to shut everything else off. We're going to put all of our attention to fixing this thing right? This is what, what has been done uh, as kind of a, a type and an example for us in the spiritual life. It's been done here in the physical world, and now we come together and we say, all is not right with the world. Christ is the answer. He is the ultimate vaccine for this disease of sin, and we need to do whatever it takes and put whatever effort and resources it needs to seek after him with all our heart. But this isn't a journey we can take on our own. 
And so we're going to talk today about what it looks like to seek after God with the accompaniment and the example of the saints. We're going to talk today with Ryan J. Marr. He's got a new book on Our Sunday Visitor called Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. Uh, This is a fantastic book. I, I, I tell you, it came in the mail. I opened it up. I saw it, and I was so excited. First of all, We've had uh, Ryan on the show before. You might know him by another name. His his uh, nom de plume, of course, and, and, and his given name as well is is Ryan J. Marr. But he goes by Bud. Uh, you probably have heard him on the uh, the Uncommon Good with Bud Marr and Bo Bonner. Uh, heard on Iowa Catholic Radio and here on uh, Oklahoma Catholic Radio. But um, I got this book. I was so excited because I've had him on the show before. I knew his work was fantastic. And I said, I looked, turned to my wife and I said, oh, look at this. I can't wait. We're going to definitely do this one on the show. And I promptly put it in a very safe location, which I still have not found. Uh, but I reached out to Bo, uh, to uh, to Bud rather, and um, invited him onto the show. And thankfully, uh, our Sunday visitor is with the Times. They sent me a PDF for me to look over uh, so that I could at least at least talk with some bit of clarity uh, as we have this conversation today. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Or should I call you Bud? Well, what do we do here? This is kind of one of those odd things. I think Bud is best. It's funny. When I started publishing, I used Ryan. It just, in some ways, maybe sounds a bit more professional. Yeah. But in conversation it's a bit odd to my ears because I've always gone by Bud. So if I was walking down the street and you shouted out Ryan, I may or may not turn around. (laughs) (laughs) That's bound to be about somebody else, right? Yeah. So you, for a long time uh, and up until recently, you were the director of the National uh, Institute for Newman Studies. Uh, You're still an associate editor of the Newman Studies Journal. You were there uh, in Rome for the canonization of St. John Henry Newman. Uh, And, and, now you have made your way back. You've returned to the verdant hills of Iowa, where you're the academic dean at Mercy College in Des Moines. Um, but you you have a little bit about a, a little bit to say about Saint John Henry Newman. You've spent some time with him. Well, yeah, I grew up in an evangelical context and came into the Catholic Church in 2007. And Newman has his theology has always been an intellectual pursuit for me, but much more than that. And I really do believe that you know, it was through his intercession, partially, that um, I was led into the Catholic Church. And I've continued to mine his writings as a source of spiritual guidance and wisdom. And part of what I want to do with this book, honestly, is introduce others to St. John Henry. But that can be a daunting task, because if you, say, enter the National Institute for Newman Studies in Pittsburgh, you see shelves lined with books by Newman. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was my job in this case to kind of uh, walk through and identify some of the most important themes and then present them in an accessible way for readers. And, and I, th- I feel like you've done that really well as I've come I- I into reading this book and just getting a sense for who he was. Because you hear the name, St. Mm-hmm. John Henry Newman. Um, I spent quite a bit of time, my favorite uh, commentary of the Gospels is the Catina Aria, which was... Um, put together, compiled by by St. Thomas Aquinas and translated into English for us by St. John Henry Newman. Um, so I, I've spent a little bit of time around him in that regard, and I knew uh, that he was a convert, that he had been Anglican beforehand, and and heard that famous quote from the, um, from the essay on the development of Christian doctrine, uh, that to 
uh, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. So I, I had these little snippets of him, but uh, didn't really have a sense for who he was. And you start out in this first chapter really kind of giving us a sense of his personality and a sense of the things that were important to him and even a little bit of a timeline of his life of what was that he came to be Catholic. So for those who have not yet read this book, um, would you give us just a the thousand foot view? Yeah. What was the life of John Henry Newman like? How long, how old was when he, when he became Catholic? Obviously he became a cardinal, so he spent a good amount of time in the church. Uh, what did that look like? Well, uh, his life spanned almost the entirety of the 19th century. He lived from 1801 to 1890. And really, it's kind of convenient because it was split into two parts. So his conversion to the Catholic Church, he was received in the Catholic Church by Blessed Dominic Barberi on October 9th, 1845. And so um, we, we, we sometimes forget, you know, Newman's Catholic writings are so important, but he spent the first half of his life as in um, within the Church of England, you know, during his adult years as a minister there and as a very influential minister at that. And so a great theme in Newman's life was really sacrifice. That's not incidental. And we forget, um, you know, maybe just how different England was at that time Mm -hmm. to life in America, say, today. So today, you know, a lot of people go through spiritual journeys, maybe in their 20s, and religions can sometimes be like, different hats that you put on and off. I mean, I don't want to denigrate anyone's particular experience, but at the time that Newman was alive to leave the church of England, to become Roman Catholic, especially with how prominent he was, uh, he gave up a lot. He gave up friendships, career prospects, um, connections. You know, he was a fellow at Oxford. So it was a very sort of like prominent cushy position in some ways. Um, And, you know, various popes, Pope Paul VI, uh, Pope Benedict XVI more recently have said, Newman really is a shining beacon of the search for truth and seeking truth regardless of the personal cost. Well, you know, we hear St. John Henry, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman. We have that end of the story. And so we kind of think, well, he jumped straight out of being uh, an Anglican as a, you know, I, I just always pictured him coming across in his late twenties, early thirties. Uh, and that he just, you know, he was just burgeoning there and he came straight over and, and ascended in popularity. And this was not the case at all. He, he went through considerable sacrifice in order to become Catholic and he did it anyway. He did. He sacrificed to become Catholic. And then his first decades really in the Catholic church came with their own trials. So Newman had this kind of ranging mind and he wanted to wrestle with the issues. So the book that he wrote on his way into the Catholic church was called an essay on the development of Christian doctrine. And there, I mean, really in a nutshell, he's trying to show how what we see as the Catholic faith today is the full flowering of the apostolic faith. But that the way that Newman presented it was challenging to some Catholics. When Newman talked about the church's responsibility to consult the faithful on matters of doctrine when he pushed for um, Catholic ministry at, uh, you know, universities that had traditionally um, prescribed that sort of things, those were all ideas that were, like, we take them for granted today, but at their time, they were challenging for some Catholics. And so this was a personal trial for Newman. And when he was declared a cardinal or appointed a cardinal by Pope Leo XIII, he saw that as a real grace from God that the, the church had here, officially in the highest office sort of 
blessed um, his ministry on behalf of um, Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. We're talking again with Bud Marr. Uh, you and the book, of course, says Ryan J. Marr. The book is mm-hmm. Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. Um, as we're looking at this here in the season of Advent, uh, I, I'm struck by a couple of things. Um, this is our time of the year. The, it's our new year, our liturgical new year. And as we look at the new year, this is a good time for us to make um, New Year's resolutions. Uh, I talk about uh, very often here on the show that Advent is a time for us to look around at the world around us and say, all is not right with the world, but Christmas brings us the promise of all being made right. So it's a time for uh, for examination, uh, for self-examination, to see our place in the world, but also just to look at at the injustice and, and all that exists in the world, and then to call out for God's uh, intervention, as he does with Christmas. Uh, he also will do at the end of all ages. But as as St. Saint, um, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux says, there's a third coming of Christ as well. There's the coming of Christ where Christ comes to us right where we are, right now at this time in history. So here as we're examining ourselves and and looking at our place in the world, you would invite us to do so with St. John Henry Newman, to look at the world through his eyes, to get some insight into our own personalities, our own search for God, and also to our place within the context of the world around us by looking to him for his example. And I love that you have really framed this book in light of an accompaniment and a journey that, yes, we ought to have people around us who we can interact with face-to-face, but we also ought to take this journey of faith along with the saints. So unpack that a little bit for us. What does it look like in your life as you have journeyed with St. John Henry Newman? How has that given you maybe a, a little bit of perspective on your life as a, as a Catholic? Yeah, at the start of the book, I do present St. John Henry as sort of a spiritual director from heaven because when I engage his sermons, it's almost like there's this living voice. And I don't know, there's something about the way that Newman presents the faith that has always uh, stirred my heart. And I'll tell you, like, one, one thing from his writings that has really always stuck with me is Newman kind of presses this point that for many of us, what trips us up along the, the journey is not very often great, grave sins. I mean, maybe um, for some of the listeners, that, that's part of their life. But for many of us, it's just apathy. And Newman actually says in a couple of different places that one of the biggest dangers in the spiritual life is comfort, having things our own way, you know, being surrounded by material goods because it does take our focus away from our ultimate destiny. Now, that could be a tough message to hear in 2020, because many of us probably feel like, well, isn't life tough enough? But I think even at this time, um, there are some dangers, you know, of maybe like being at home and just as a default position, like going to Netflix, Mm -hmm. going to Twitter, you know, spending a lot of time on social media. And so as followers of Jesus, especially during Advent, I think it's worthwhile to say, how do I organize my daily life so that I can live as much as possible in solidarity with those who are suffering greatly, and there are many of those right now. Mm-hmm. You know, to the idea of 2020, there is, this is a, maybe a great wake-up call for us that that as much as sometimes we feel like we are in control of our own destiny, 
2020 is one of those reminders that, hey, there's a whole lot that's out of our control. And and to take that as an opportunity to seek the one who is in control rather than retreating to these uh, these um, escapes, like you mentioned, Netflix or social media. And in regard to social media, you have this quote toward the beginning of the book that, that I, man, I just want to post it everywhere. In fact, I'm going to post it on social media because- okay. Because that's that's the thing that needs to be done. It, he says, we should all of us be saved a great deal of suffering of various kinds if we could but persuade ourselves that we are not the best judges, whether of our own condition or of God's will toward us. And and oh, what a what a beautiful picture that is of reminding us of our own need for the presence of God. And for yeah. for others in our lives, that that we can't rely on our own judgment. We have to look to others, to the the people we belong to, and to the God that we belong to. Yeah, Newman to me has a very profound understanding of the human psyche. Maybe it was serving for many years as a confessor and as a pastor, but he kind of knows the ways that we're prone to self deception, and that highlights the need for a good spiritual director. But another theme that I try to draw out in the book is a phrase that I stole and that I, I don't know if Newman use it, uses it specifically. It's the title of another book by, I believe the author is Jean-Pierre Cossade. Mm-hmm. It's called Abandonment to Divine Providence. And I see this as a grand theme in Newman's life. He has some beautiful prayers where he basically throws himself on God's will, you know, almost as if he can't trust his own self-will. And he says, you know, like one prayer, I'm I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he says like, oh Lord, you could take away all of my friends, my health. You know, it's almost like this Jobian type um, Mm -hmm. saying like, um, you've given life, you know, you could take it away at any moment. But I believe that you have a specific plan for me, that you've placed me here to do something that you haven't prepared for anyone else. And it's just this kind of beautiful affirmation of providence um, manifesting itself and an individual life. And I think because Newman fostered that sort of stance that God used him in powerful ways, even though in some ways, you know, for most of his life, Newman lived in kind of a quote unquote backwater town, you know, and spent a lot of his time in his study, but you know, like the, the influence they ended up having, having really rippled out um, to great magnitude. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think that this is a beautiful picture as well of this abandonment to divine providence, because the things that he endured, uh, one could could look at him and not fault him at all for for being upset about them and for for really kind of railing against them and doing his best uh, to to set the record right, and and instead he trusted in the end that things were going to be handled by God, and and today, as you said, his influence is immense. And we're going to continue this conversation with Bud Marr just after the break as we talk about his new book on Our Sunday Visitor, uh, Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. You can get it today by going to osv.com. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about a saint who's made an impact on your journey as you've sought after God. There's much more to come right after this, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Bud Marr. Uh, he writes under the name Ryan J. Marr, and he's got a new book out on OSV, our Sunday visitor, called Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. I haven't made it all the way through, but it's just a delightful book, and I encourage you to pick it up. Go to osv.com today. Ryan, thanks again for joining. Bud, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, T.L. It's a real blessing. Man, I'm fighting between my notes, which I've got right in front of me. And, and of course, you also are the co-host of uh, the Uncommon Good radio program with Bud Marr and Bo Bonner. Had Bo on the show a number of times. I've had you on once before. And, and so I've got that stuck in my head, but then I also have my notes and I'm, I'm fighting myself. Um, you have spent a lot of time with Newman as the formerly the director of the, Newman, the Institute for Newman Studies, associate editor with the Newman Studies Journal. I'm looking at this this life of a saint who has this pursuit, this undying, undaunted pursuit of humility. And this is something you see in, in all the saints to varying degrees. I mean, obviously, you've got people like St. Jerome, who was a little bit more persnickety. Uh, but, but humility is the defining characteristic of, of sanctity because it's that recognition of our place in the divine order. Talk a little bit about what humility was and how humility was experienced by St. John Henry Newman. So one example that stands out to me from Newman's younger years is when he's studying at Oxford and in preparation for his exams, he prayed that if it was going to be injurious to his soul, <laughs> that God would prevent him from being too successful. And I think if someone like myself said that, it would come off as a kind of false humility. But I really, when I read Newman, there just seems to be this kind of consistency to his prayer life and how you, you know, I mean, not to give the impression that he was perfect by any means. You mentioned Jerome, St. Jerome's boldness or, you know, persnicketiness. Newman, he had a fair amount of like arguments. And I don't know if he was always fair in his corner, but I think he really did have this desire um, to be humbled. And TL, part of where that stands out for me is even what we were talking about in the first half of the show with his journey into the Catholic church. You know, I think it would have been easy for Newman to cling to those privileges and the kind of honors that he had at Oxford. And that really was the dream of his as a young person that he would be able to enter that scholarly scholarly life in a place like Oxford. And he really, he really loved it. Like he ate up the intellectual sort of like exchanges that were part of his daily life there. And, and to give that all up, you know, I think um, that was, I, like we said earlier, that was a real sacrifice on Newman's part. And I think he saw that as part of God sort of winnowing away uh, his tendency to pride. You mentioned his pursuit of, uh, of, well, his abandonment. I guess this is quite the opposite of pursuit. His abandonment to divine providence. Um, and this is one of those things that we don't like a whole lot. Uh, we, we experience the things that happen to us. We look at 2020. There's memes about it everywhere. And our natural response is to seek a way out of it or to seek a person to blame for it. Right, um, and here, Saint John Henry Newman is experiencing it himself and guiding us to a place where 
we say, okay, in this situation, God is present. So my task now is to to discern and maybe just to sit in silence and listen so that I can find out where God is in the midst of this. Uh, and not to rail against it, not to uh, to take up arms and to try and resolve my situation, but to to find where God is present in the midst of this current calamity, whatever that happens to be, and to say, ultimately, God's going to take care of this. It's the yeah. Lord. Well, Newman's most famous piece of poetry, it, it's now titled um, Lead Kindly Light. That's yeah. how we know from the, the hymnody. Um, he wrote that after a serious illness. And this is a key moment in his life related to the the kind of points that you're bringing up. So I'm blanking on the exact year, but Newman is still in the Anglican church. It's the early 1830s, you know, a leader in the Oxford movement. And he preaches the sermon on self-will and uses Saul from the Bible as an example of self-will. And then he leaves for a vacation with his best friend, Hurl Frude and Frude's father. And they spend time in Rome and in the Mediterranean and they had already planned like the specific dates they would go back to England. Well, Newman at the last moment decided that he would return to Malta because he enjoyed being there so much. So I'm going to take like a quick trip back to Malta. And Hurl went on uh, with his father. Well, Newman um, during those days got very ill. He, it sounds like close to the point of death. And he interpreted this or saw this as a chastisement from God. And that by making that decision rashly, he wasn't discerning God's will in sort of an Ignatius sense, Ignatian sense. And, and so um, that's the point at which Newman writes his famous poem, Lead Kindly Light. You know, one step is enough for me. I don't need to know, um, you know, what's further down the road, just one step at a time, one, one day at a time. And I'm trusting that God's leading me along the way. One of the other things that this abandonment to divine providence led him to do was to trust that the the complexities of the political life of the church were such that that God was going to take care of it, that He could express an opinion, uh, but that that the need to somehow stand up and defend and rail against the powers that be in, in terms of church politics, that yeah. that wasn't His place. That that God was the one who was going to lead the church, and this is at a pretty tumultuous time in the church in terms of politics. What does he have, what does St. John Henry Newman have to teach us today in the midst of our also somewhat politically charged church <laughs> politics uh, uh, life of 2020? Well, one of the hardest points in Newman's life as a Catholic was around the First Vatican Council. And of course, Vatican I was where the church dogmatically defined that there are, are occasions where the Pope can speak infallibly. Mm-hmm. And Newman believed this to be the case, but he was somewhat concerned about those who wanted to pass a maximal understanding of that idea where the Pope would become a kind of oracle, you know, like dispensing revelations down to the rest of us. And so this was a trying time for Newman. You know, he had some letters where he said, this is the greatest crisis since the Arian controversy. I mean, it was really personally trying for him. But um, in the wake of the First Vatican Council, Newman did really manifest what you're talking about, this this trust in divine providence that the Holy Spirit was continuing to guide the church. And in these letters to close friends, he has some amazing words, you know, let us have a little faith, have a little patience. God is still in charge of his church. You know, Pius IX is not the last Pope. 
And um, if things were stated, maybe in somewhat of an imbalanced manner that um, God at a future time will raise up another pope or another council who would fill out the picture. picture. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the weeds with like the specific case under consideration, but what struck me is Newman's, um, his really heartfelt words to friends, counseling patients and reminding them that the Holy Spirit was guiding the church, even at times, if at times it seemed like the bark of Peter was yeah. taking on water amidst the storm. We have in our, our home a large mirror that my wife painted with the, the, um, the, the, the poem from St. Teresa of Avila. And mm. so we, we, we go over it. Sometimes that's the last thing that we say to the kids. Sometimes we do the, the blessing, um, from, uh, from Aaron, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. And sometimes we do this poem, let nothing disturb you, let nothing affright you. And specifically that line, patience obtains all things and who has God lacks nothing, right? We don't like that. We, you know, I grew up in the age of uh, of Ricky Schroeder and silver spoons. Uh, every every problem can be solved within the context of a thirty minute episode, and and now it's even now it's even more uh, exacerbated because of social media. And we all want to express our opinions and solve the world's problems with a single uh, you know tweet. Well, this isn't this isn't the way, right? patience obtains all things. And we see that with St. John Henry Newman. Yeah, uh, We're going to see that uh, with everything in the church today. All, all the things that cause people distress, well, God is the one guiding his church. And this is always the case, right? The, the, God, God is not surprised of looking at the the state of the church with all of the problems that we see in the U, in the in the American church and in the church worldwide he's not going oh man i didn't have this in mind when i said i'd never leave the church when i said the gates of hell would never prevail I, gosh i never could have foreseen this no patience obtains all things and i love that that example played out for us uh, by saint john henry newman and the the example of the saints gives us hope because we see that God has kept his promises before and that helps us to see that God will continue to keep his promises. Yeah, I love that quote from St. Teresa. And I know in my own life, one of the problems that I run into is I try to take a shortcut directly to the patience <laughs> and the peace of peacefulness. When what you see in Newman's life is that that patience and that trust flowed out of a deep life of prayer. And Newman would wake up very early in the morning to spend time with God. He's he's very serious about this, um, TL. He's got some <laughs> pretty strong quotes. He says at one point that um, prayer and fasting are the wings of the soul, and one cannot hope to reach God without regularly praying and fasting. He compares, he's, he says, prayer is to the spiritual life what oxygen is to our physical bodies. And so this is not something that you can take on when it's convenient or, you know, like um, I'll get into a little bit of prayer this week. It's absolutely essential and crucial. And, you know, uh, we, we run the risk of sometimes of reading about um, figures like Newman who practice heroic virtue and saying like, well, you know, that's great that they reached that point, forgetting um, how immersed they were in this life of communion with the triune God. And, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about grace, but if we talk about grace and then end up just going our own way, are we really trusting in the grace of God? Newman exhibited his trust in God's grace by um, 
um, framing his day and planning his day around prayer. So let's get to some practicals then. Uh, as as we, you, you mentioned in the very beginning of the book, we need spiritual directors. We need also the witness of the saints. Uh, if we're taking on uh, St. John Henry Newman as a secondary spiritual director and we're saying, hey, you know, I need some of what you had in your life, some of this peace, some of this trust to let go of of my own self-will and the trust in divine providence, um, what would be some steps that St. John Henry Newman would would bring to us, the beginner and the novice, to begin engaging in a life of prayer and in a life that that is in communion with God, not in yeah. merely in an intellectual sense, but in a deeply spiritual sense? Well, I can be a very disorganized and sort of discom, discombobulated person. And so one thing that I found challenging and helpful from Newman is his emphasis on regularity. And he says, regularity is sort of a barometer of where you are with God because our emotions can be fickle and they can lead us astray. And so for Newman, you really want to sort of plot a course. And I, I think this is helpful, TL, as long as our listeners remember you don't want to take on too much because one of the worst things can can be to like enter a season like Advent and say, I'm really going to just charge up my spiritual <laughs> life and then fell right off the bat. And so Newman offers these really just sort of like brief, um, somewhat challenging kind of ways to practice spiritual discipline. He says like, avert your eyes from the things of the world, like spend less time focused on entertainment and kind of, you know, distractions. Um, wake up early in the morning and dedicate the first moments of your day to prayer. Um, you know, of course, like fasting was a big deal for him. But I think with each one of these things, tail, you do want to be careful to make a commitment that you are going to be able to fulfill. And just like um, weightlifting or jogging, you know, you don't start out running the seven miles, you build up to it. And our, our souls need that kind of like slow progression, just as our bodies do with physical training. Well, I would say, you know, this gets back to this idea that patience obtains all things, right? We want, we want the quick solution. We want a quick burst to, to fix our spiritual life. And, and this isn't really a possibility, right? We have to, uh, to enter into that relationship as we can. And, and there are some definite steps that we can take. But this is not about self-improvement or self-will. It's about entering into communion and, and taking that patient um, pathway to find God. Yeah, and I, I know each of us now, are, you know, we're like living in different places with different sort of opportunities available. But the great thing about being Catholic is we have this rich treasury of prayers that have been written by saints, by, so to speak, like masters of the spiritual life. We have daily mass. And so I think it just starts in places like that where you say, I'm not going to be able to pray 15 decades of the rosary tomorrow, but maybe my prayer life is kind of dry right now. I'm going to set my alarm 15 minutes earlier and say one decade and I'll yeah. start there and see how things go. Or turn off the radio in the car and pray the decade on the way to work. Uh, last little bit, of course, the the new book is Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman, available on OSV fantastic book. You should start there, but when they're done with that and they've read through that, uh, where's a, a good place for the average reader to start with Newman? Well, I'm really grateful for my time at the National Institute for Newman Studies, and they really have some great benefactors who have, uh, out of their generosity, made available 
the resources of Newman's writings. And so if you go to newmanstudies.org, you can find a digital collection that um, contains uh, high quality images of Newman's handwritten writings. But another great place to go is uh, the Newman Reader. Just Google Newman Reader. And that has available like in an HTML format, um, all of Newman's published writings. And for the listeners, I would really encourage them to maybe start with Newman's sermons. I'm afraid if someone jumps right into, say, his grammar of ascent, which is his most philosophical and speculative writing, it might be kind of discouraging. But just maybe take like one of Newman's sermons and read that as devotional material. It's great stuff. Um, All right. There's a lot there. Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me. Again, the book is Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. You can pick it up at osv.com. If you missed any part of my conversation with Bud Marr or you uh, you want to share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at outsidethewalls.com. Uh, if you want more, there is more. We record an extra segment each and every week for our Patreon supporters. We've got a great community of folks, but there's always room for more. Come be a part of it. While you're there at the, at the website, OutsideTheWalls.com, you look up to the top right-hand corner of the page and you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link and follow the directions. You can listen to some other uh, segments that we've done recently that are open and available to the public. Uh, but most of our segments are, are locked down as a gift and a thank you for our supporters. Let's turn now our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. <laughs> That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up, and you can find your own Verbum Library over at Verbum.com. Try it free for 30 days, and then when that trial is over, you can decide which level you want to be at. Uh, I personally use the gold level, and uh, one of the things I did this week is I was working on show prep. I'm like, you know what? I want to think, I want to look at seeking. I want to spend some time with seeking. So I typed in the word seeking, and it gave me all kinds of options, but this is the one uh, that stood out to me that I wanted to spend a little bit of time with. So our reading today comes from the the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the sinners their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord to find mercy, to our God who is generous and forgiving. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, oracle of the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Yet just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall do what pleases me, achieving the end for which I sent it. Yes, in joy you shall go forth, in peace you shall be brought home. Mountains and hills shall break out in song before you, All trees of the field shall clap their hands. In place of the thorn bush, the cypress shall grow. Instead of nettles, the myrtle. This shall be the Lord's renown as an everlasting sign 
that shall not fail. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55. And this was a really powerful verse for me because this is one of the first places uh, in the Old Testament where I saw mercy. Now, of course, mercy is all over the Old Testament. But as a teenager, we spent a lot of time uh, growing up in my childhood reading the Psalms and the Proverbs, and they're very black and white. This is what the good person does. This is what the bad person does. Here's the righteous. Here's the wicked. And I didn't see a whole lot of uh, of the encouragement and invitation to return to the Lord, to turn from wickedness. Uh, I saw avoid wickedness at all costs, but here's one that says, yeah, you're wicked. Now go ahead and turn from that and seek after me with all your heart. So there's something very, um, very nostalgic about this verse. As I remember where I was and, and how this verse impacted my life. But today what I'm looking at is, is a couple of things. One, we start with this invitation to seek. Come and seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. But then he goes on and talks about his own action, talks about his own provision, right? That as the, the snow comes down and waters the earth, so my word is going to go forth and it's not going to return to me void, but it's going to accomplish what I sent it for. So here we have this invitation for us to seek, and yet we're also being told that we're going that God's going to do the action and he's going to meet us there. In the same way that we see this with the, uh, with the, the wise men. He puts out the star and he beckons them, and yet it's God himself who makes the greater journey. They may have packed up and left home and crossed deserts and rivers and, and, and seas, but God is the one who left his throne and crossed the chasm between God and man, right? So here he's calling them to seek, and yet he is the one who has done the greater action. The same is true as he invites us to seek after him, knowing full well that he is the one who's going to send forth his word, and and he is the one who's going to do the greater action to meet us at that place of promise. Our reading today from Church History comes from a sermon by St. Peter Chrysologus. When God saw the world falling to ruin because of fear, he immediately acted to call it back to himself with love. He invited it by his grace, preserved it by his love, and embraced it with compassion. When the earth had become hardened in evil, God sent the flood, both to punish and to release it. He called Noah to be the father of a new era, urged him with kind words, and showed that he trusted him. He gave him fatherly instruction about the present calamity, and through his grace, consoled him with hope for the future. But God did not merely issue commands. Rather, with Noah sharing the work, he filled the ark with the future seed of the whole world. The sense of loving fellowship thus engendered removed servile fear, and a mutual love could continue to preserve what shared labor had affected. God called Abraham out of the heathen world, symbolically lengthened his name, and made him the father of all believers. God walked with him on his journeys, protected him in foreign lands, enriched him with earthly possessions, and honored him with victories. He made a covenant with him, saved him from harm, 
accepted his hospitality and astonished him by giving him the offspring he had despaired of. Favored with so many graces and drawn by so great sweetness of divine love, Abraham was to learn to love God rather than fear him. And love rather than fear was to inspire his worship. God comforted Jacob by a dream during his flight, roused him to combat upon his return, and encircled him with a wrestler's embrace to teach him not to be afraid of the author of the conflict, but to love him. God called Moses as a father would, and with fatherly affection invited him to become the liberator of his people. In all the events we have recalled, the flame of divine love enkindled human hearts, and its intoxication overflowed into men's senses. Wounded by love, they longed to look upon God with their bodily eyes. Yet how could our narrow human vision apprehend God, whom the whole world cannot contain? But the law of love is not concerned with what will be, what ought to be, what can be. Love does not reflect. It is unreasonable and knows no moderation. Love refuses to be consoled when its goal proves impossible, despises all hindrances to the attainment of its object. Love destroys the lover if he cannot obtain what he loves. Love follows its own promptings and does not think of right and wrong. Love inflames desire, which impels it toward things that are forbidden. But why continue? It is intolerable for love not to see the object of its longing. That is why whatever reward they merited was nothing to the saints if they could not see the Lord. A love that desires to see God may not have reasonableness on its side, but it is the evidence of filial love. It gave Moses the temerity to say, If I have found favor in your eyes, show me your face. It inspired the psalmist to make the same prayer, Show me your face. Even the pagans made their images for this purpose. They wanted actually to see what they mistakenly revered. That reading comes from a homily by St. Peter Chrysologus. Let's ask ourselves this week, what is it that I love? What is it that I seek? What is it that I long so deeply to see? That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on air. As always, you can go and listen to the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. I'd love to see you over there. Today's show is brought to you by Richard Jones and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to Outside the Walls, click the Patreon link, and join their number. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.